Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tiger Athletics. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hanson, and lead digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. Welcome back to Go Tigers 247's Tigers in 20. Uh, my name is Kenny Stubblefield. I'm the lead digital content creator for Go Tigers 247, and I am joined by the one and only founder, owner, Guru of Go Tigers two four seven. That is Brooks Hanson. What's up, Brooks? Man, tired. Thanksgiving did a yeah. a number on me. You don't realize how hard it is to to watch your kids twenty four seven until they're at home with you, and you're having to like juggle everything. And my wife worked last week, so it was like daddy daycare around here. Um, tenants. Did you have any help? Did you have any other dads going? Please. No, I actually uh, texted a bunch of baseball <laughs> friends. And uh, asked him, hey, do you want to send your kid over to occupy my son so that he'll stop bugging me? <laughs> and all of them were like, we're out of town. We're in Florida. Like, some of them were at the beach. Uh, two of them were at Disney World. I'm like, what? <laughs> How did I not get this memo or get an invite? So uh, I'm, I'm a little tired. Had family in town all weekend. Ate a lot. Drank a lot. Uh, Y'all know the deal. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling the need to recover from not only Friday night with the Tigers getting absolutely demolished by uh, Iowa State, um, but just from a weekend of just gluttony, pretty much. Absolute gluttony on my part, man. We were in Gatlinburg with my extended family um, for the week, had a great time in the woods. Brooks and I were talking before before we got actually started recording, um, and I'd love to know in the comments, um, I would love to know 
are you a beach house person or a cabin in the woods type person? Because I am absolutely a cabin in the woods type person. Brooks, you are I'm both. Uh, I want to go seasonal, so I want to go back and forth. It's got to be. It's not just in the woods. It's got to be in the mountains in the woods. Mm. It's and and right. there are prerequisites, right? So beach house, you got to be like within walking distance to the beach. I'm not bougie enough to say it's got to be on the beach. Uh, but in the mountains, I do have specific requirements. It's got to have a deck with a fireplace. And a hot tub. It's got to have those things or I'm out. Uh, but, yeah, I'm rotating back and forth. I'm flying back and forth between, you know, the Appalachian Mountains and, you know, 30A or whatever. <laughs> the Appalachian and 30A. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, man, I know we're kind of stalling for a second because we don't want to talk about this. It's a rough weekend, man. Like, could you let's talk imagined? football first? Bowl yeah, yeah, eligible. Yeah. Come on. Let's like let's give Ryan Silverfield and this team their props. As much as the wheels wanted to fall off of that thing, they stayed Ryan on. Silverfield and that team pulled it together with a freshman, you know, second string quarterback and a whole bunch of injured players with their first string running back out in the final couple games, managed to pull out bowl eligibility. Now, is it like a New Year's Six Bowl? No. Um, but they're in. They get to play another game. They're in, man. Could you have imagined – so, on Friday, you had the Tigers and the Grizzlies play. John ja Morant gets hurt right before the – I think it's right at the, the right before the start of the second half. He gets injured. Nobody knows what's going on. It's a non-contact injury. People start freaking out, which is rightly so because John ja Morant is a freaking superstar at this point. Um, and then the Tigers lose – to the Tigers basketball program loses to Iowa State in – really epic fashion. I mean, just handled in every single way from start to finish. Could you have imagined if the Tiger football team had come back on Saturday and lost against Tulane and lost the opportunity to be bowl eligible for the eighth straight year? Man, that would have been such a horrible weekend for Tiger sports fans. So kudos. This would have been the most negative podcast in the Absolutely. history of Go Tigers 247. Absolutely. No, it was great, man. I'm looking up real quick. Um, um, looking at this email, um, Scott Burns is the uh, SID at University of Memphis for the football program, and he came in during the the post game press conferences to um, uh, to tell us about some of the stats that um, uh, oh my gosh, Seth Hennigan has in his freshman year, his his true freshman year, threw for over three thousand yards this year, um, set all kinds of offensive records. Um, for quarterbacks at the University of Memphis. Um, and it, it's just an impressive year for him. Um, it was a good find, you know, for the Tigers. Like, I think starting off the year losing the – I think everybody believed that Grant Gunnell was going to be the starting quarterback. Obviously, him going down like four days before the first start of the, uh, of the season, four days before the first game. Um, nobody really knew what a true freshman quarterback would bring to the Tigers – but I think, Brooks, you would agree with me, Seth has been the bright spot this year. Outside of Calvin Austin, who everybody knew was going to be great, Seth has been the bright spot for the Tigers this year. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's not even close. Um, and, you know, his quarterback rating for a freshman was almost 150. Let, let's put that in perspective. The top team in the entire conference, a team that's going to go – 
into the college football playoffs in Cincinnati with Desmond Ritter, his QB rating this year was 162. 162. That's impressive. Uh, Last year, 152. So as a freshman, Seth Hennigan goes out there and is one of the top quarterbacks in the entire conference. You know, you look at – and that's with an overall receiving core that was – relatively not great this year. Like Calvin Austin, he is what he is. Sean Dykes had a tremendous season this year. I'm super happy to see the way that they use Sean Dykes this year. But overall, Memphis wasn't great from a receiving core. Uh, Javon Ivory, you know, pretty solid. I think he had, what, 400-plus yards this year. Uh, Eddie Lewis, he had some – showed some flashes as – Later, you know, a guy that can in come year. in. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you look for and you say, okay, maybe as a senior next year he can be one of those dudes because they're going to need some guys to step up. Absolutely. Um, but overall, Memphis didn't have anyone who was just spectacular uh, to support Calvin Austin and Sean Dykes. And so he did all of that with hitting, you know, just uh, kind of a – do it by committee type of receiving core. Um, and to only, what did he throw? Seven interceptions all year? Yeah. Hold on, let me. Uh, he threw eight, eight interceptions all year. Right. With a, an offensive line that was struggling for uh, the better part of the season. Uh, that, that had some moving parts coming into the year. They had guys shifting around with new roles. So I would say. While there is concern, you know, whenever it comes to some of the scheming stuff, you know, you, there was some play calling concern with the offense early in the year, and and maybe some of that is like you look at at Johns and you you say, well, Johns never called the plays with Norvell. He he was always just kind of the guy that kind of like sat back and said, Dad, is this okay? Can we do this? And Dad's the one that's really making the calls. Like, I'm. I'm not saying that Mike Norvell is John's daddy, but uh, I kind of did by accident. I didn't intend to to make it sound like that. Uh, you didn't mean for it to come across that way. This is his first, you know, first real like full season to have the reins with a uh, you know a head coach that's kind of saying like, "Hey, you do what you do. Like you don't have to come running to me asking for permission. You don't have to run plays by me." Be aggressive. Yeah. Get a scheme and go with it, and trust yourself. Um, so, do I think I think Memphis's offense actually got better throughout the year? There were times where it stalled, and some of that I think is on personnel. It's not scheme. Um, so, I, I'm I'm super excited to finish the way the, the the year the way that they did, and with a chance to go into a bowl game and, and get to seven wins in a down year. With yeah. a lot of injuries. I mean, right. Like that's 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 got to be the. And at some point, I think we're going to move past this whole idea of it being a new phenomenon that the Tigers are a bowl, like that bowl eligibility. And Brian Silverfield has said this so many times over the last few it's weeks. The standard bowl eligibility is the standard, and it hasn't been for the longest time for the University of Memphis football program. Uh, but for the last eight years, they are bowl. They have been bowl eligible, and and Ryan Silverfield has kept it going this year. Is it going to be? Um, Again, it's not the New Year's Six Bowl. It's not the Cotton Bowl from 2019 type situation. But that was a, you know, not every, that that doesn't happen every year. And that shouldn't be the standard. That should be 
you know, man, let's 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 try to get there, but that that's that's ideal, but bowl Cincinnati's L- a great football team and and this year is not the standard for them. Right. It is the outlier. Right. Um you need some magic and some luck and you know, you need preseason rankings to all fall into place to have a year like the Tigers had when they went to the Cotton Bowl. Right. And like Cincinnati's having this year. Do you um, think it I is mean, what it is? I mean, we talked about Seth a second ago, and that's even including, I mean, another, the second straight year of just having, I would say, probably subpar running back pl- um, play. Now, I'm not saying the running backs are subpar, but the production has not been great this year. Um, you know, obviously Brandon Thomas came in like gangbusters at the beginning of the year. Um, and I think through some injuries and through some other things has just had, he obviously wasn't at 100%, not that any player is, but there just seemed to be a, um, the threat of a run game was not very, um, not very big, which I think was why you saw Seth Hennigan running the ball so much in the last couple of weeks. Yep. Um, but again, just super impressed with Seth and and really excited to see. I was talking to a former player on the sidelines on Saturday, and he said he, – he came up to me and he said, listen, Seth is going to hold – if he stays in Memphis, he is going to hold every single record, offensive record, that Memphis has ever had. Like he will – except for – except for running but in terms of quarterback (laughs) passing he's going to hold every single record um that that the Tigers have and I and I think that's probably a fair statement I think that that's the expectation is that he's just going to get more and more comfortable and better as he gets you know more um you know more experience in in college football so um do you think let me ask you this Brooks what are your expectations um in terms of any kind of coaching changes, any kind of staff turnover, anything like that? I know we people have been talking about this on our boards for a long time. Um, should the Tiger fans be paying attention to anything like that over the next couple of months? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if there's not some level of overhaul with this coaching staff, that that's even more of a concern. Uh, and that's okay. Like, it's okay for – Ryan Silverfield to reevaluate priorities with you know what they're doing uh, defensively with what they're doing with certain position coaches. I do think that when you have the the growing pains that you have this year, when you struggle with certain things pretty significantly, you have to make changes. That's just just part of it. The big thing that Memphis can't do is go lose a lot of the young talent that they've they've got stockpiled. Um, especially at skill positions, right? Um, with those coaching changes, they've got to show these players that they're bought in to continue building, right? Based upon those changes, and, and convince some of these guys to come back and not bail. Um, so you know that, and that's concerning. You've you've got to go out there and and make sure that that they keep these guys. Um, Going back to your your running back position, you know when when Seth Hennigan is your fourth best rusher <laughs> in terms of total yards on the season, something's not right. And you know Brandon Thomas is young; uh, he's got you know three more years, he's got time. Uh, but Memphis needs help in that backfield. You know they're losing Marquavius Weaver. Um, you know they've they've got some some big big holes to fill. 
back there. And and let's just call it what it is. Not only is Memphis's backfield in need of some help, their special teams. Oh, man. Like to me, that that's the number one position I'm looking at on a coaching staff perspective. Um and saying like, hey, either we got to get this together, uh, or or you got to go, because um, special teams this year was just putrid, and that's that's the difference between this team and the last seven eight years. Memphis special teams have been on another, and maybe even longer than that. Memphis special teams have always been really really good, um, you know, at least in you know from the kicking perspective as as long as I can remember. And it was really with some of the Fuente and Norvell teams that you start to see that skill position coming into play with the speed, ability to return kicks uh, and get those free yards, you know, quote-unquote free yards off of a, a punt or a kickoff that this team just never got. We just never saw any sort of uh, major movement with the special teams mo- uh, uh, special teams for Memphis. So, um I would say overall, like you look at it, as long as the offensive system is consistent, aggressive, um, Memphis has to air it out. They have to be aggressive with their play calling. As long as you see growth there and then you see some some movement from a coaching perspective to kind of shore up some of the deficiencies, I'd, I'd say there's a lot of positive to build on. Your, your best running back is a freshman. Your best quarterback that played this season is a freshman now. You know, you got to see – somebody brought up a great point. Somebody – great, great point. If Mike Silverfield had been without his number one quarterback – Mike Norvell. In any of his – yeah, I mean, what did I say? Mike Silverfield. Mike Silverfield. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Norvell. Yes, I'm now merging all of Memphis' coaches. Uh, Yeah, I want the beach and the ocean. I want Mike Silverfield – I mean, Mike Norvell and and Ryan Silverfield. Um. If if Mike Norvell had been without his number one quarterback the same way that Silverfield was without Grant Gunnell, how how well do you think he would have done? If if Justin Fuente had been without his number one quarterback right. the same way that Silverfield was without his number one quarterback, how well do you think, especially with a freshman quarterback? You insert a freshman quarterback for Paxton Lynch. How well does that coach do? Exactly. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, it, I thought it was a very fair point, and that gets lost sometimes because it happened before the first snap of the season. Right. Um, and so have I been quasi-critical of Ryan Silverfield? Yes. Was was there a point in this season where I, I lost a little bit of faith in him? Yes, being honest. But am I willing to sit back and admit, like, I actually have some level of optimism and I've got to sit back and say like I I'm willing to trust him and that he does have some level of a quote unquote excuse. Absolutely. I, I think that Ryan Silverfield has earned that level of, you know, respect and and, you know, a little bit of rope. Do you think we're saying that because he won against because the Tigers won against Tulane on Saturday? No, Tulane was a two-win team. It's not like Tulane's like a world beater. And it's not like they handled them right, you know, convincingly. It's it's more about the positive momentum. They they beat, you know, at an actual like 
pretty good Mississippi State team. Mississippi they've State turned was, out to be good, man. Yeah, they've turned out to be pretty dang good this year. So like, give them credit for that, right? Like they they beat a good team. They lost to one of the the last undefeated teams, you know, prior to last week or whatever, and in UTSA by one point on a game that they should have won. That they were up 21 to nothing. Right. Like, that. that's a, a game that, I mean, they should be sitting at seven wins right now. They, they squandered that game away. Right. So, you know, it's not, it's not about Tulane. It's about, you see the difference between seven, you know, six wins and seven wins is not that far off. The difference between seven wins and eight wins is not that far off. It's really not. It's really not, man. They could and, be an eight win team, eight win team this year if a few things had gone their direction, right? Right. Yeah. Right. It's not that it's not that crazy. And if we're sitting at eight wins, not even at the having end of a season, discussion. Nobody's nobody's even having a discussion about right. whether or not Ryan Silverfield is competent or capable of this job. So Ryan Silverfield, I'll be the first to say it publicly. Um, I think you you deserve a ton of credit for this year. And you know my criticism, well, I, I think looking back now and trying to take a big retrospective look at this season was unwarranted. So um, I'll be the first to say that. Yeah, I mean he, you know, and and we obviously know, like I know how I know how injuries and and things like that impact the basketball team. Um. You know, there's so many players on a football team. Some of those numbers kind of get lost in the in the minutia a little bit because there's so many players on a football team. But he came in and he said um, in the post game press conference the other day that you can see on our YouTube channel, he said um, that they've lost um, that 48 players have lost multiple games to injury this year, which sounds like a lot, and and so. It's very clear, and injuries are part of the game, especially in football. You're going to have injuries in football. There's nothing you can do about that. But um, I do think that to a degree, um, there is while there is some like disappointment, I think that the Tigers are are were not as were not as successful because I think of for this reason. This is Calvin Austin's last year at the University of Memphis. And Calvin Austin is just such a great story um, for Tiger fans in that he started at University of Memphis as a walk-on from the city of Memphis. He's a player from Harding Academy, played, uh, walked on at the University of Memphis, and has turned himself into a legitimate NFL prospect. I was speaking with uh, Russell Copeland on the sideline, uh, former Tiger wide receiver from, uh, I think, the mid-'90s, played in the NFL for a couple of years with the Buffalo Bills. And he said, I was asking him, I said, what do you think? Do you think Calvin's size is going to be hindrance to him playing um, next, uh, you know, on Sundays? And he said, absolutely not. He said, you know, my, our good friend, a good friend of the, of the team, Devin Walker posted a picture of Russell talking with um, Calvin before the game. And he said, man, I literally just sat with him and said, you've got everything you need to know. Like, you've got everything you need to have to be able to make it on Sundays. There's one or two things that he said. This is what – let me just give you some some cheat codes, if you will. And so, you know, you look at Calvin and you look at how this kid 
story, walk-on scholarship player, track star to, you know, full-time track star to part-time player to now he's a full-on NFL receiver um, with that kind of talent. I think people were a little bit disappointed that he, you know, didn't get sent out with the, the, the fanfare that everybody wanted him to, especially with all the injuries he had this year. But, man, you know, this kind of stuff happens, you know, those, those, like you said, Brooks, there's a couple of games where there's like one or two plays from winning those games instead of losing those games. And then you add two more to the win column and they're eight and three or eight and four instead of six and six. And so it's like, I agree with you, man. Um, I would always caution fans with this reaction of if things aren't going perfectly right away, fire the guy. Like that just seems to be such an amateurish mindset when it comes to um, dealing with your favorite team's coaches, especially in the NCAA. Um, The answer is not fire is to not fire the head coach. The answer is not to upheave everything. It's to let them figure this out, give him a shot. And at the same time, they're still bowl eligible and they're going to play free, free football this year. Well, so here's the last thing I'll say about this season. One, I was I was wrong. It, anytime you lose the the game on a last second touchdown or field goal, I always just kind of like say you lost by one point. UTSA beat Memphis by three, but you know, to me, like the the biggest thing that was kind of like a you felt like the air totally came out of the balloon was that three stretch, three game stretch where Memphis lost three straight, and it was by a combined twelve points. One of those on a last-second field goal. One of those on a kickoff return by Temple that secured the win for them. And and then one at, at Tulsa where you lose by six points. And could you were in that game. And, and then you lose to ECU in overtime by one. That's literally four games by a combined 13 points. So... Kenny, I know we said like eight wins is not that far off. <laughs> Ten wins was not that far off. Right, right. Like you flip those four games somehow, and special teams a little bit better. You know, production from the running back position, uh, a sophomore Seth Hennigan, and all of a sudden, we're talking about a like a really good bowl game. Right, and, and I guess for the American Athletic Conference, a really good bowl game is not that impressive, but because you're still not getting into a New Year Six with ten wins with that schedule, but they weren't far off. And I would just encourage Memphis fans, like, give Ryan Silver, like, look back at the season, actually, really look at the the win loss, look at those games, take a deep dive into. The fact that four losses, four of your six losses are by combined 13 points. And as someone who coaches youth sports and youth football, that that's not that much at all. Like that's like that is a razor thin difference between winning and losing. And um yeah, man, I, I just I, I think that there's a a good reason to be positive about Ryan Silverfield and this Memphis football team. So, all that said, let's take a quick break unless you got something else, nothing else. All right, quick break it is. I'm going to let you hear from a couple of uh, robotic sponsors, and we'll be back on the other side.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I guess football's over. Uh, not real, really. Uh, they've got a bowl game. But in this podcast, football is over and done with. Uh, now we have the unfortunate task of breaking down the the last week or so of Memphis basketball. Um, you know, Virginia Tech game, not so much uh, of a negative to talk about. But Friday night against Iowa State uh, for the final Ten and a half minutes of that game, Memphis got absolutely dismantled, um, and it wasn't even close. Like that, Memphis never—they could have played eighty minutes of basketball, and Memphis would have lost exponentially as time went on. They would have their, the point differential between those two teams would have continued to expand. There wasn't a point in that game where you say, "Man, if only Memphis could play a little bit longer, the talent would just take over." It was not a talent issue. Um, so, Kenny, any initial thoughts from you on Virginia Tech or Iowa State, or I guess any of the first, you know, couple games of the season since we haven't done a podcast in a minute? Yeah, I got a lot to say. Um, I don't know <laughs> it, what direction to go into um, other than to say that – Expectations are extremely high on the Tigers this year. Um, publicly here at Go Tigers two four seven, we have always cautioned against setting expectations at a national championship or bust type mentality. And I think we said this a few weeks ago, a few podcasts ago, Brooks, where we said, "Listen, if your expectation." is that the Tigers are, that it's a bust of a season if the Tigers don't win the national championship, then you need to reevaluate your expectations. There's going to be, they're, even if they're the greatest team in the, you know, from start to finish in the year, like Gonzaga was last year, there's, there's, it's a tournament type situation. The goal should be get the Tigers to the NCAA tournament and let them go. Let them, let them get all this thing figured out. Um, obviously, man, um, that Iowa State game was a, a massive disappointment, but it also was not a massive surprise to me. Um, I think that um, it was the way that the Tigers lost that game that was surprising to me. It was the the lack of fight 
that I saw that was really disappointing. Um, and I think the reason it's so disappointing is because this team is not the 2019 team with the youngest team in the, in, in, in the entirety of Division I college basketball. This team has veterans that have been through the fire the last three years, four years. And it was very disconcerting and very surprising to me to see just panic. Panic the, is the perfect word. Panic and lay down that I saw. That was really surprising to me and very disappointing. And I have my thoughts on why that happened. Um, but I, Brooks, I want you to, you, you just, you take it from there. And that's my initial thought was it was surprising to me to see the panic and the, the lay down in the second half. Yeah. I mean, here, here's what I would also say of what we said a couple of weeks ago before the season started. Um, the number one challenge for Penny Hardaway and his staff, and really Penny Hardaway because the onus falls on him for this season, is going to be rotation and limiting minutes to guys that don't need those minutes. And honestly, How's right he now, done so far, he has failed that test. Failed that test miserably, miserably. Yeah. Um, and I, and I know that Penny Hardaway is the type of guy that. You know that there is some level of like he takes things like that negative criticism to heart. Um, you know, I I know of stories where where Penny has heard national analysts or local people say things and really get bent out of shape about it. And I, and I want anyone listening to this to know that you know I am a lifelong Memphian. I grew up in the shadows of Penny Hardaway's you know, childhood neighborhood. I grew up in, in, you know, like on the fringes of Orange Mound, of Binghampton, of, I, I mean, I literally grew up in the shadows of the University of Memphis. I'm, I'm like a straight up University of Memphis baby. Um, I grew up with every family member of mine loving the University of Memphis and Penny Hardaway. Uh, Elliot Perry, you you name it. Like those are the guys that I grew up watching as a, a young child, and now is just someone who still removed from the city of Memphis loves the city. Uh, I'm a you know I went to undergrad and grad school at the University of Memphis. There's not a single ill will, uh, an an ounce of ill will in my body towards the University of Memphis or Penny Hardaway. Um, so everything that I say here is is out of wanting to see the best and trying to take a step back the way that we just did with Ryan Silverfield and see the big picture of not only the first five games of the season, but the big picture of Penny's tenure as head coach at, at the University of Memphis. There, There is nothing that has happened with Memphis's rotation and the way that Penny is – you know, pulling guys, sorry, six games, pulling guys in and out of, you know, games, the combinations of guys. When I mean, when you're seeing Malcolm, Jalen Duran, and DeAndre Williams together, something's off. You're <laughs> when you've got when you've got like seven guards over six five, 
and you've got Alo and Tyler in the game together. Something is off. Something is off. And so there's nothing that's happened so far in those first six games with Penny and those rotations and his substitution patterns that show me that he's learning that his allegiance to certain players is detrimental to his success as the head coach at the University of Memphis. And I know, I know how deep Penny's loyalties lie. He is a, that it's loyalty above everything for Penny Hardaway. And loyalty to his neighborhood, loyalty to his city, loyalty to his his school. That's why he is where he is today, because of that loyalty. He is literally the head coach at the University of Memphis because of how deep that loyal blood runs in his body, in his veins. But at some point, you have to put two and two together. That that same loyalty that got you where you are and has you aspiring to achieve greatness on behalf of that city and that school could be the same thing that burns that dream to the ground. And at some point, Penny Hardaway has to to come to terms face-to-face in the mirror with no matter how good my heart is and no matter how much I care for some of these local guys and care for guys that I've made promises to, I have to roll with the guys that make the most sense for this roster, the system for uh, talent-wise, and I, I have to put those guys on the floor I have to define roles and give guys some level of continuity so that they understand what every guy's doing. When you throw Josh Minot into a game after playing two minutes, and the very next game he's playing, you know, 15 plus minutes, and he's playing with dudes that he hasn't practiced offense with, what do you think is going to happen? When you make up rotations where you know only two of the guys have spent any sort of meaningful time together on the floor and understand the way that each of them play uh the, the way that each of them move their tendencies whenever it comes to like you know like dribble hard at x player what does he do does he come to the ball or does he do a v cut and, and you know what what is that player's tendency I don't know any of these players because I have not consistently been given that role with these guys. No one knows at any given moment which of the 12 guys that Penny Hardaway is trying to play is going to be on the floor with each other. Uh, So that's my first big concern. It's the same concern we expressed weeks ago. Last year, two years ago. And at some point when you express that concern, Narrowed rotation, defining roles, uh, limited minutes for guys that shouldn't be playing. At some point, the trend has to become a concern. Instead of it being an issue where you're saying, you know, like, oh, this is concerning. We hope we see adjustments. At this point, it's beyond that because the the one time concern was a one time concern 2 years ago 
with a different roster and you saw the same issues. And then you saw it last year. Did he get it figured out by the end of the year? Absolutely. Some of it was injury. Some of it was attrition. Some of it was just like getting a little bit lucky and, and also like realizing, Hey, I got to win. Well, <laughs> we don't have, you know, Memphis, the, the university of Memphis basketball program doesn't have the ability to wait until February and March to hit the panic button and figure that out again with this team. You know, you had a come to Jesus moment last year when you go to Sioux Falls and you come out one and two, and then you start the season in your first nine games, five and four. And you see after that blowout, like embarrassing blowout Tulsa win that Memphis kind of like, you know, they circled the wagon, they figured some stuff out, and they actually started running a consistent offense. So you saw growth in that team and the best the best version of that Memphis team was in March. That's why everyone thought that, or at the end of February, everyone thought that they deserved to be in the tournament. They were a March team. The previous year, they were a March team. Penny Hardaway's got to get past that like thing of, I'll have them playing ball at the right time because they got to get in the NCAA tournament this year. They've just got to. You have too much talent. Um, you've assembled. I mean, t- to me, this is a make or break year for Penny Hardaway. This is. I agree totally. Um, and he needs to figure this shit out ASAP. Not two months from now. Like I'm talking about, they need to come out against Georgia and, and you know whip some ass. Um, uh, and the problem is that there's not much time between Friday and Wednesday for them to install an offense because let's just be honest they don't have an offensive system they don't and this isn't based on insider information which it is but if you have a brain and no basketball and have two eyes that can see you can see there's no consistency memphis tries to run sets and when one set doesn't work they go to a completely different set when that set doesn't work they, you know they go from UCLA to, you know, like a high post or they go through all of these different things. And when they don't work, it turns into ISO ball panic right now. Instead of building on what actually worked last year, you saw that, you know, I I don't even know what they officially called it, called it. You know, it was it sometimes I, I heard it called like playmaker. I've heard it called cutters, but the the offense that Memphis consistently ran over the last 15 games of last season worked. You have carryover from a lot of the players that are actually getting minutes right now, some of them that shouldn't, but you're you're you have carryover. You have DeAndre Williams, who's a core of this team. You have Landers Nolly, who is a core of this team. You have Lester Quinones, who is a core of this team all with the carryover knowledge of that system, that cutter system that you installed last year that worked so well. Why are we not seeing that? Why? I mean, it works well. It wins you an NIT championship. It has you on the verge of an NCAA tournament berth, and it would have won you a game, maybe two, in the NCAA tournament last year with the way you were playing. And we don't see it at all. Like go back and watch Memphis's film from last year. It's night and day difference in terms of cohesion, motion. There's no getting the ball 
to that, you know, that that elbow high post area to a playmaker to, you know, to get any sort of cutting action off of that guy. They're they're not running the same offense and I mean, I don't know if it's that you've got two new staff members that wanted to like change some things up, but at some point, Penny Hardaway has to look back and say, do I trust myself and the people that I put around me to make the best decisions to help me win? It's not about does you know Rasheed Wallace have an agenda for himself. Rasheed Wallace is new on this staff. He wants to win. Cody Toppert is the mainstay of this staff that's been on multiple years with you now. Does he have an agenda? Cody Toppert's agenda, if you if you asked him, is for the University of Memphis to win. Larry Brown, he's 82. He doesn't have his own agenda. He's like just his own agenda is to make it to, you know, 2022. Like there's there's no agenda here. Like stop questioning the people that you put around you to help you succeed. And so you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, am I willing to trust the people around me? Am I willing to trust my gut and go away from the things that don't work and stick with the things that I know? Penny Hardaway obviously knows defense. That's been a consistent thing across the board. He obviously trusts what he's doing defensively. He's got to do that now offensively. He has to, or he will end up like Larry Finch, period. He's got to get this figured out. If, if he doesn't, if he doesn't get this offense figured out, it will be the beginning of the end for Penny Hardaway. Let me ask you this question, Brooks, and to kind of, because you, you went on a pretty epic rant there. And, and I will say this, I've been in the gym with Larry Brown over the last few months. I hope that at 50, I have the energy he has at 82. So I don't know if he's no necessarily doubt. trying to get to 2022. I think he's just fine in that regard. But It's metaphor. I, I know. I know. I, and and, and let's, <laughs> let me just call myself out People here. take the, the jokes about his, The jokes about his age are I know. played out and tired. Um, so to Larry, I apologize. Like, dude, you are the man. Um, but my point is, like, question. the point is there's no agenda here. Right. Let me ask you this question, Brooks. Take a step back, and I, I want to. And this is my, me and you, just for just to break kayfabe for a second to break down the fourth wall. Brooks and I have not talked about what we're talking about here, so none of this, like off the record, none of this is like we've not gone like, hey, Brooks is going to say this, and I'm going to say this. So this is me. This is the first time I've asked Brooks this question. Um, you know, in the last couple of days, as I've just tried to take a step back and think, I know that there is a lot of, of, uh, you know, big picture type things that we can discuss. Um, but just in the, the small, you know, ground floor level of just why the Tiger team looks, the, looked the way they did against Iowa State, um, do you think that it's it's because because at this point it is becoming a trend for Tiger basketball team under Penny Hardaway to be elite defensively at the beginning of the year and 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 to have struggle in terms of offense until the end of the year. Do you think it's like can literally just be broken down to the fact that the majority of practice is on defense and not on offense? Absolutely. And and I think that there's so much hopping around 
going into the season and wanting to try to revolutionize this offense every year. It's like every year you start the summer and the beginning of fall trying to say, how do we fix this offense instead of saying, hey, last February and March, we were like good. You can insert a bleep there. Uh, We were really f***ing good. And teams found it really hard to stop us, especially when we are as good as we are defensively and we can manufacture points. Not by being a run-and-jump team like you saw from them the last 10 minutes of Iowa State, which is a big reason why they got blown the f*** out of the gym. Memphis isn't a run-and-jump defensive team. They are a solid pressure team that pushes you out further and further, makes you make bad passes, they they jump passing lanes, they deflect balls, they're physical, they switch everything, and they get points in transition when teams don't run back. Teams, they speed teams up to a level yeah, they're, legitimately, not, with, they're they just, not ready to play yet. They and they they do it and here here's what I will say. Mike White said you cannot practice you cannot prepare for what Memphis does. Right. And here's the the difference. You can. You're just doing it with five eight, six foot, six three, six four, walk ons or second six, stream. Six, seven. <laughs> you can't prepare for what Memphis does because of what they do. And with the length at which they do it, the length, the skill, um, you know, with the the overall package that Memphis comes at you with. And that's the problem is you're not putting that best team that they can't prepare for on the floor. So, yeah, I mean, it's you've got and here's the other thing. Memphis is so good defensively that at some point you have to evaluate like, hey, are we like do we need to like chill the fuck out on defense and practice to let these guys get into a flow offensively right. and start getting that motion and movement? Cause like the hardest thing as a coach in youth sports is like when you teach all your kids one thing and then you tell them, Hey, go play defense. Like in football, that was so hard. You like the kids know the plays. They right. know what's coming. Right, 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 right. And so you've got them out there, and they're like they're like glue because they know every movement of that. They know our quarterback's tendencies. They know where those routes are going. They know when we're running the ball, and they know how to stop it because we preach it so right. much that our offense then would struggle trying to get any sort of flow in practice. And so I, I saw that real quick, and I, I would say, hey, Chill out. I want you just to like take it easy, and I want you to come after the quarterback. This one play at half speed, run seventy five percent, run fifty yeah. percent. Yeah. And you you have to tell your players to chill out a little bit, so that you can actually practice and you can get reps for your quarterback. You can get guys trying to catch the ball with, you know, off of a throw that may be off of pressure. Um. So. I mean, I personally learned that, and that's working with nine and ten year olds. And I'm not saying that Penny Hardaway is is you know too dumb to see that at all. Like, he's obviously a brilliant he's basketball not. mind. He's not. He's that's the thing. Brilliant. He's not. Yeah. There, there is so much second guessing that I see in in overall in the the decision making 
process for Penny Hardaway in his first few years? There's like, uh, is this going to, like, uh, maybe we should switch it. Uh, I mean, we won, but maybe we should switch it. And, like, that's what I'm saying. you got to trust your gut. you got to trust that instinct. And, and he has it. He obviously has it. So, that, so what I saw was, after the game, my first initial thought, and I put it out on Twitter, was were two things. Um, it is not surprising to me that as the t- as the games have increased in importance over the last couple of games, as even Josh Minot talked about it after the, um, I think was it the St. Louis game maybe or the uh, North Carolina Central game where he came out and gave that epic quote of, you know, it's about to ramp up for us. We're about to start seeing more you know, some teams that have a better, um, a better chance, you know, this is not the Super Bowl for these guys. Um, so we're going to see how we're going to do. And I, 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 what did he say? I choose us. Um, I like us and I like us. Yes. And, um, it's not surprising to me that Jalen Dern and Amani Bates are struggling right now. Um, it's not surprising to me. You look at, um, generational type players um, when they were in college as freshmen. Um, look at, even if we want to go back in history to Derrick Rose, right? Look at Derrick Rose in the 2008 season um, with Memphis. Um, he, the first part of the year, everybody saw the talent level, right? Like everybody saw what Derrick Rose could do at the beginning of the year. Um, but there is, uh, there is absolutely... Um, there were times at the beginning part of 2008 that he looked like a freshman. And and what the Tigers did was is that they would unleash Derrick Rose at times and he would just wow people. But they also had guys like Chris Douglas Roberts and they had guys like Joey Dorsey and they had guys like um, uh, Robert Dozier and Sean Taggart and, you know, all these different players, Antonio Anderson, that were – the mainstays of the team that had been there for a long time that were able to carry the team because of their veteran leadership. Um, And it wasn't until March and April where all of a sudden you saw Derrick Rose explode. And it was his NCAA tournament run that locked up that number one draft pick in the draft that year. But Derrick Rose didn't carry the team throughout the 2008 season. That was Chris Douglas Roberts. That was all the other guys that I just discussed. Um, because by the end of the year, Derrick Rose wasn't a freshman anymore. He had played enough. He had seen enough. And his talent, the game had slowed down, and he had become acclimated to the college level that his skill set and talent just took over. And so it wasn't surprising to me that it's not surprising to me that Amani and Jalen are struggling. Um, three months ago, they were playing AAU basketball on a on an AAU circuit that were the level, the talent level, and the skill, the the skills in the games. They're just it's just completely. It's literally a different language. They were they were legitimately playing freshmen in high school, right? And now they're playing. 25 year old grown ass men that don't give a f- about 
Imani Bates and Jalen Durant. They don't care. So yeah. I say all that to say it doesn't surprise me that Jalen and Imani are struggling right now. What has been surprising to me is that the veteran leadership on the team is not holding up their end of the bargain right now. And I don't think it's their fault. I don't think it's their fault to a degree. I wrote down some stats, Brooks, and I wanted to run this th by you. Um, I wrote down on Twitter, I said, it, just in that in that Iowa State game alone, Landers Nolly um, and Lester Quinones, I'm sorry, DeAndre Williams and Lester Quinones um, took eight shots combined between the two of them. These are guys that have been playing college basketball for a very long time. Lester Quinones for one team, for one coach. He's been playing for Penny his entire college basketball career. He took four shots in that game. Against Virginia Tech, Lester Quinones took five shots. Against Western Kentucky, Lester Quinones took four shots. Against Western Kentucky, Landers Nolly took five shots. Against Virginia Tech, Landers took six. DeAndre took six, six shots against Western Kentucky, 10 shots against Virginia Tech, and four shots in the game against Iowa State. Like, that is not sustainable if the Tigers want to make a deep run. Yeah, if Lester Quinones is, he shot 40% from three last year. He's at 31.3 right now. I mean, it is, if the Tigers have any hope of doing anything special this year, those three players need to be the focal point of your offense. Because if you see it, and they are systems guys, you see it at, at, at the end of last year, Landers, Lester, and DeAndre, when the offense was running sustainably well, got consistent open shots in the offense. Right now, that's not happening. Malcolm Dandridge and Alex Lomax are shooting the ball more than Lester, Landers, and DeAndre in a game. And the only reason that that's happening is because they are not running anything. And they're putting them on the floor. They shouldn't put be on the floor. It is, it is crazy to me that Lester Quinones has had 13 shots in three games. Crazy. Because that's when because you can you can throw North Carolina Central, you can throw um I can't even remember the teams that they played before, not to be disrespectful to them, but they teams that had no business being on the floor with the Tigers outside of a paycheck. But the offense looked decently good during that time because they, they there was just very little pushback on defense from the opposite from the opposing team. But as soon as the game started to pick up, as soon as the physicality, as soon as the players' talent and skill level started to pick up on the opposite side, Lester, DeAndre, and Landers, their productivity and even output has decreased exp exponentially. And, and again, I don't blame the three of them for that. To a degree, DeAndre, because he fouls so freaking much, so he's not getting a lot of extended playing time. But Landers and Lester, it is insane to me that these guys are not are not the leading scorers, leading shot producers on the team every single game because they need to be. Because right now, Imani and Jalen are every once in a while. You saw it at the end of Iowa State game with Imani. 
he took a couple of shots and just like a couple of step back jumpers in the flow of the offense and he knocked down some shots and it was it, it looked good you saw flashes of what he could bring you saw it in the um in the game with 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 Jalen where he had 22 points and 19 rebounds and five blocks like you see he can produce because he's that skilled and that gifted the the potential is there but right now they're freshmen right now they need to get acclimated right now they need to figure out how to play in the college game and to me it's all about system to me it's all about the fact that there is it seems clear to me and and we can dumb it down as much as you want to um you know you've you've broken down a lot of like mental things that are happening inside the facility that not a lot of people will understand and not a lot of people will know but and and how do we fix that well Nobody knows how to fix that outside of Penny, right? Like Penny's got to fix all that stuff. He's got to listen to the people that he's got to listen to, that he trusts, that people that have been with him for years, um, people that he's known for years, people that have proven themselves in in this. Um, people like Larry Brown, Rasheed Wallace, Cody Toppert. He needs to listen to those guys. Um, not saying that he's not. We don't know, but just whatever. If you dumb it down to just offense and defense in a game, it is clear to me that they have spent a majority portion of the time in practice developing the defensive side of the ball, which is great because the Tigers are, you don't accidentally become the number one ranked defense two times in a row, two years in a row, trending towards that direction this year. But you also don't accidentally become an effective offensive team because you have talented players on your team. You've got to run a system. And that, that's what was so surprising to me about the Iowa State game was just seeing the panic. Like I saw, I saw a few times there were some plays where Jalen got the ball in the post. He got double teamed, which, yes, Jalen's going to get double teamed a lot. And then he would just throw the ball out, out of the post to a wing, which is what you're supposed to do, but he had no clue where anybody was, just threw the ball blindly to the defensive team. That was a panicked pass. And the reason it's panicked is because he hasn't seen it in practice. They haven't been practicing that. They haven't been doing that. The only way you get better at that is if you've practiced it, if you've seen it and drilled it multiple times, every practice, hundreds and hundreds of times in practice. And, and so all the things that I'm seeing, I am not a sky is falling type guy. I would never be that because the team is the the Tigers team it's is six so, games. It's six games. The Tigers team is ex, like is just supremely talented this year. They have they have everything they need to make deep run into the tournament. Um, but there are some trends that I'm seeing that makes me just go. You've got to figure this out because it would devastate me if that became the narrative surrounding Penny's tenure at the University of Memphis um, because it doesn't need to be that way because it can be fixed very quickly. Yeah, I mean, you've got to use the guys that give you the best chance to win. You've got to get them on the floor the most amount of minutes. Uh, I have a question for you about that. Yeah. And I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? Um, and you can tell me if you don't want to, if you don't want to do this, like I said, we haven't discussed this. I didn't tell Brooks I was going to do this. Um, 
because we have close relationships with a lot of the players because as two at two four seven sports as go tigers two four seven we are a players media outlet we value players we value the people behind we value the athletes as more than athletes we the are stories behind the stories behind they're not just stats stat sheet stuffers for us these these are human beings that we love telling their stories so it's i i, I in terms of putting you on a spot this might be awkward, but I, who are the players? You've already mentioned Malcolm and Alex, but who are the players that, like, if you had your your run with this roster, who are the players that should be getting the time on the court? Well, I would have eight, maybe nine, and it would go like this. Amani Bates, Jalen Duran, Lester Quinones, uh, DeAndre Williams, Earl Timberlake, Josh Minot, Josh Cam, uh, John Camden, and then Landers and Ollie is my ninth guy. And I say that because I know a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes. And and here's my thing: you've got to have some level of accountability within your program, not just for one guy, but for all of the guys. And when so that's my nine. Period. Stops there. Now, obviously game to game, you have to change that. So, for example, uh, you know, Earl Timberlake, he's got to be one of your top five, top six. But right now, he's fouling out every 28 minutes. He's he's averaging 16 minutes and fouling, you know, 2.8 times per game. He's fouling like once every, you know, like five minutes. Who am he's I on missing the floor. here, Brooks? Out of those nine, Jalen Duran, Imani Bates, Landers Nolly, Earl Timberlake, DeAndre Williams, Josh Minot, John Camden, Lester Quinones. There's one more. Who am I missing? Landers Nolly. Yeah, I said Landers. I'm sorry. I just have eight. I'm sorry. I'm writing this down. Anyway, right, maybe going. maybe I'm at eight. Maybe I am at eight. Um, let me let me rename it. Oh, I, I would. Alex Lomax would be my ninth. Okay, Alex Lomax. Okay. So. In cutters last year, you never saw a point guard. Right. You you saw Boogie Ellis bring the ball up the floor, but again, we can do this again. We've I, I did an article on Boogie Ellis. I talked about it on the podcast. We broke down his entire season. Boogie Ellis is not a point guard, and outside of the last month of last season, Boogie Ellis just was not good for Memphis. So we can all have like hindsight is twenty twenty and have like rose colored glasses about Boogie Ellis now that he's at USC and he's playing really well, even though he is yet again showing his yo yo nature. Um, the team's playing well. He's not playing great. Like he's not playing. He's I mean, doing he's exactly up, he's what had, he, he's had numbers. He's had microwave numbers where he is either on or off, which is he what is, he did for Memphis, and, and he is not a point guard. Um, so. You know, I, I say you put your best five on the floor. You create Who is that some, best five? Woo, um, I think at this point you do Earl, Lester, Amani, DeAndre Williams, and Jalen Duran. Okay. And your sixth is? Um, I'm probably going with. Josh Minot off the bench first. And and here's the thing. 
you know, this has been a controversy on message boards if you've been following along. We can talk about this all day long. Josh Minot has made a lot of mistakes, and that's fine. And, and I, so I, there is some level of justification on Penny Hardaway's part if he pulls him for, and forgets to put him back in because there are other guys that he can play. There have been times where he did not look ready, but there have been other times where he has looked like he is on the level of some of Memphis's best freshmen. I mean, all the freshmen have made mistakes. And I mean, there's that's not a where single I'm going freshman. with this. Amani Bates, you look at him against Iowa State, he looked absolutely scared and lost. Uh, I mean, he did almost, I mean, like I'll say it like this, he did some things that if I were a basketball player, I would almost be embarrassed for myself. A thousand percent. Like, oh, God, that's like cringeworthy type of mistakes. And so he's given – He's been given the green light and the ability to work through those mistakes in ways that Josh Minot has not. Um, I think, I, I personally believe that Josh Minot is the best complement to being able to bring a guy off of the bench to replace DeAndre Williams when he needs to come out, out of the game for foul problems or for attitude issues or because he's you know, tweaked his back or he's, you know, or just needs a a break. Um, Beyond that, I think you have to do it based on feel. But I think you have an established rotation of those top eight or nine. I think in certain games, Alex Lomax is going to have to play more because certain teams are smaller. They throw guards at Imani Bates that are just lower to the ground and create issues for him, for Lester, for Earl Timberlake that they don't cause for Alex Lomax. There is a difference. Like when you have a fucking bee swarming around you and you can't get your hand on, like you you don't know where they are, you look like you're having a panic attack, you know, because of how little it is. You're just, you're everywhere. And that's a lot of times what I've noticed in these first six games when Memphis tries to go like positionless for all five, they don't have a quote-unquote true point guard. And when we say true point guard, let's just call it what it is. You don't have a short guy out there to bring the ball at the floor. <laughs> like, legitimately. Like, that's no, what you're most, right. That's hilarious, That's what most though. fans think in their head. Like, oh, we don't have a, you know, six-foot Chris Garner bringing the ball up the floor. We don't, you know, we don't have, <laughs> we don't have a, you know, I mean, you name it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, though. We don't have six one Antonio Burks bringing the ball up the floor. We don't have a point guard. Like, there's a reason why there are times where teams cause havoc for Earl Timberlake. Earl Timberlake is a playmaker. He is a, you know, above average ball handler for his size, but he is six six. If you have a five eleven six foot point guard, if you've ever played ball, you understand what I'm saying. It is. Those dudes are just lower to the ground. It's harder to deal with. Right. Um, but, th- you know, there is obviously, you know, like it becomes the law of diminishing returns. Like you put a guy like Tyler Harris on a 6'10 post player and he's going to get posterized. He's he's going to – or he's going to, you know, do one of those like gets bumped back 45 feet and takes a charge type of thing. But – 
that that guard to guard matchup when you've got a guy who's six five, six six, or even six seven, six eight, like Amani, and you put a tiny dude on him, it's going to cause problems. And there so I'm not saying this is set in stone, like you can't look at it like it's no flexibility herein. Alex Lomax is going to have games where he has to play 28 minutes a game. It's just going to happen. There are going to be games when Alex Lomax is terrible and you have to give a guy like Tyler Harris some run. But he should be 10th plus off the bench. Like he should be at the end of the bench. And, you know, your most talented player, you built this roster, you constructed it, you, you had a plan with these guys. You've got to do the best you can with the roster that you've assembled, put the talent on the floor, and build a system around them. And I think what you had last year, because you had the same lack of a point guard and the same success that everyone's envisioning, the same level of play, you just go back to that. That's why it's so frustrating to watch that offense at the end of last season and then a complete lack of offense this year and it's just because you went away from something that worked. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement with you. You know, I think that I do think, and, and, and the two of us discussed this a few when we when we did the podcast about what Penny Hardaway's biggest problem is going to be is that's his it's his rotations. We talked about Alex a lot, and Alex is. I hesitate to like it's it's tough because. Alex has become kind of the punching bag for Tiger fans. Um, Tiger fans like to beat up on their own for some reason. Um, but at the same time, if we call a spade a spade, Alex has not been great this year. He has made decisions that as a fourth-year senior would boggle your mind. Like, why why are you doing this right now? Um, Dude, that long – that full-court pass to Jalen Duran that fell like a good four or five feet short right into the hands of an Iowa State player. When you're not down, you're not desperate. What the f*** are you doing? That's the type, you shouldn't be having a what the f*** are you doing type of reaction to a point guard that's been on this team who's, you know, like a senior leadership type of guy that you do with Alex Lomax and you have that type of reaction with him multiple times per game right um I agree with you and and I think that but I still think that Alex absolutely has a role on he this has team. a role absolutely um because there are times there is there have been multiple games where um this positionless basketball idea of having Earl Imani you know, trying to bring the ball to the court, the the primary ball handlers on the in the lineup at the time has gone very badly and they've needed to bring in Alex to stabilize things. And he's done that a few times. But it's those extended minutes that he gets sometimes that causes you to go, okay, what just happened? Like, what are we doing right now? Um, so, but I still think that Alex has a major role on this team. I do think that he... Um, and, 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 and a lot of times that major role might not even be on the court. It's on the sideline. It's behind the scenes. And, and I guess my challenge to Alex would be 
not that he's going to listen to this, but just my challenge to Alex would be, um, you need to figure out like what kind of, what kind of player, like what is your priority here? Is your priority to see the Tiger team be the best that it can possibly be or for you to prove yourself to people? Because at this point, you don't need to prove yourself to anybody. Yeah, I think we're beyond that point. What do you mean? I think we're past the point of Alex Lomax like needing to like there's there's no need there. Right. Like you you don't he does things. He is a better athlete, better basketball player than 99.9% of the people that are on him on the message boards. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody. What you need to do is be that leader on the team that's going to help this team go as far as it can possibly go. And I'm sorry, like if this is harsh, this team is not going to rise and fall on Alex Lomax's success on the court. It's gonna it's gonna rise and fall on the young players, the more talented players, getting their shine and learning how to navigate this thing called college basketball. And Alex Lomax can help him help them do that. He can take an Earl Timberlake, who's legitimately got the experience wise is still a freshman. He's got a guy like Amani Bates who could be an, an a, a franchise NBA player at some point who needs to n- understand how to navigate this transition into college basketball. Alex Lomax can help them do that and to be honest with you, if 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 they do that, if he helps them do that, if he helps them transition well and understand decision making, game film watching, how do what what do you see? What are you seeing here? What decisions can you make? This team will be very successful if he does that. It's not going to rise and fall on if Alex Lomax scores double digits in a game. And so um, I still think he plays a major role for this team. It just looks different than what I think a player of his a, a player of his caliber wants it to look like right now. Um, let me ask you this, Brooks, because we need to get out of here. It's been a we've been going for a while, but has Everything that you saw this past week, the Virginia Tech, Iowa State, um, some of the things as you know about what's going on behind the scenes, um, has it um, has it changed your opinion on where the Tigers can go this year? Has it changed your opinion on the trajectory of the Tiger team? Um, I think the talent is still there. The big thing for me is timing. Timing is a concern. You've got probably your biggest five-game stretch all season coming up. Now, obviously, Georgia is not, you know, they're not not an imposing foe. And, you know, like SEC, it sounds good. But Ole Miss is legitimately like a pretty solid to good basketball team. Right. Murray State is good enough to beat you. Alabama is good enough to beat anybody in the country. And so is Tennessee. And so you've got four straight games legitimately after Georgia that you could lose. And, like, that happens, and it's a disaster. It is your start to your season, It and you let's just call it what it is. Like, it, it will be just like last year. You'll essentially start your season right around the same winning percentage after 10-ish games or so. It's a bigger disaster than last year. 
And your chance to be able to, to get back and make up the lack of quality wins in your non-conference, let, let's just look at it. Like, Cincinnati has a brand-new coach and a completely new roster. Wes Miller's a heck of a coach, and they've got some decent pieces, but they're going to they're gonna have nights where they look great, and they're going to have nights where they look completely off. Wichita State, I think, is 5-1 and one right now. Um, but most of the big non-conference games for the American so far have gone in favor of other conferences, not the American. So you're, you're again, legitimately looking at a one-bid slash two-bid league. And your chances to get wins against top-quality opponents pretty much comes down to Houston again. A Houston team that looks formidable, that's in the top 15. You play them to finish off your season. Do you really want to have to go and and beat Houston at home to finish out the season and then go into the American Conference Tournament and win the tournament in order to get to the NCAA Tournament? No. You, you tell any Memphis fan that in order to get to the NCAA Tournament that Memphis has to win the American Championship tournament, postseason tournament, to get in, if you told them that at the beginning of the year, they would tell you that you're absolutely crazy. That That is not the expectation. That is not the hope. That is not ideal for Memphis at all. So they've got they've got Georgia to tune up, but they right. got to get their figured out real quick, like real quick. So it sounds like to me this podcast is going to come out on either Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, more than likely Monday afternoon. Wednesday night at Georgia will tell you a lot about what what to expect in the next few months for the Tiger program. Yeah, I mean, they're still in the top 20. They're, they're, the AP poll came out right now as we're recording this. They're number 18. Um, so obviously the ranking is there to be able to, to keep them sustainably in the, the mind's eye of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. But if they lose four out of the next five, they're done. I mean, any chance that they have of building a resume for the NCAA Tournament based upon the non-conference schedule that they built, if they lose four of five, they're done. So Memphis has to take care of business and fine-tune some things against Georgia on Wednesday night. They've got to come out against Murray State and get a a by-game win that they should win. You know they they are better than Murray State. Uh, they've got to they've got to beat Ole Miss, uh, which I fully believe that they're better than. They've got more talent. They're better defensively, but they cannot the bed offensively. They just can't do it. And so they've got to build on those three games to help them prepare for Alabama and Tennessee. And you know the goal hope for a, hope for a split. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal based upon what you're seeing today would be that in that stretch, you sit back and you say, okay, we beat Georgia, we beat Ole Miss, we beat Murray State, and then you split Alabama and Tennessee. You've got a top 25 win. You've got a win over Virginia Tech, who who looks like they're going to be a – They will be a really, top 25 team. Really yeah. solid team. Uh, you've got – a win against a St. Louis team that should compete in the uh, A-10. Um, 
And, you know, you just hope that you win all of your conference games that you should win. You don't drop any unexpected games, and then you you split with Houston, and you've got a good you, – you perform well in the American. You have a good showing in the American postseason conference tourney, and you get in. You know, that's originally, Kenny, what we talked about. Like, the, the goal – for Memphis fans, it's not national championship or bust. It's, hey, let's complete our resume first. Right. The goal is about, when, you know, set a, a goal for wins and losses so that you can prepare yourself for a, a seed in the NCAA tournament. And then the goal is to put yourself in a position to have a seed that gives you a matchup that's favorable. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm not. I've said a lot of negative stuff. A lot of it is an encouragement to try to get the ship righted. You know, like I, I want to see this team do well, right? Because it's a lot more fun to cover <laughs> a winning team and a team that's got the city of Memphis that's so contingent with their emotions on Tiger basketball. Right. It's it's, it's more fun to cover this for fans that are happy and excited than it is. You know, trying to like keep people from jumping off of, you know, the side of a building. You said this to me. You've said that to me so many times over the last four years. It's been four years that I've covered the University of Memphis under Go Tigers 247. And I remember you saying that at the very beginning of when I came on board. You said, Kenny, it's a lot more fun to cover a team that wins than one that loses, which sounds obvious, right? Like it sounds obvious, but it is one of the truest statements you've ever. Ever Jonah said. Jonah Jordan disagrees. He thinks that uh, that a losing team or a, a team in flux with controversy creates more discussion. There's more storylines. There's more banter between fans. So it's it's a lot easier and a lot more interesting to cover that type of team. And I just disagree. I would rather be talking, you know, like I would rather be writing storylines about Imani Bates' childhood best friend that you know, like inspired him to go on and become the number one player in the country instead of writing stories about why Memphis is so dysfunctional offensively. You know, like let's write all those fluff pieces because we the only thing we can say about this basketball team is that they're they're murdering everyone. You know, let's <laughs> let's do a deep dive in on the st- statistics that makes Memphis so good defens- defens- uh, defensively and you know, like why, how they turned things around from last season offensively. Mm. Let's write that story and then go write, like, you know, the story about Earl Timberlake's, uh, you know, rehab. Misdiagnosis and, and yeah, re- like, rehab and how Memphis Campbell's clinic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's write all these feel-good stories. Right. But right now, we're on, we're literally teetering on the top of a mountaintop where we yep. could fall one way or the other. Right. And, you know, like the, the negative storyline that's waiting on one side is not where I want to be. It's not enjoyable. Not like, enjoyable. Let's get this thing fixed. Let, let's let see some good basketball. Let's see some ball movement, some some cutting, some replacing, some, some you know, screens. Some let's, let's see some made shots. Made shots are a lot of fun to cover. So well, Brooks, we've gone for about an hour and twenty minutes. The board Holy at crap. Go Tigers two four seven is going to freaking love this. Um, they have it has been a couple of weeks. Obviously, we've had some technical difficulties. I expected um, 
the technicians to come in and fix it all, but unfortunately they were busy. And so we had to reach out to Amazon and Amazon took a while to bring the stuff that we needed. So we're back in action, an hour and 20 minutes for your ears today. Um, and we're going to keep it rolling. Um, uh, but man, um, let's, let's hope that the Tigers write the ship and that the season goes the way that everybody wants it to go. But um, you have any yeah, last either. words for us? Yeah, I do. Um, there's one thing in this world that I hate more than watching inefficient offensive basketball, and that's the delayed shipping times that COVID has brought us. Like, what in the world? Woo! Can we get that right? Like, can who do we need to talk to to get that right? Like, if hey, man, Penny Hardaway a- figures out this offense, we need to put him on that next because uh, it drives me absolutely crazy. So – Kenny, well, I got nothing about else. To, you got any? You're about to open the door for a lot of political comments that I am not <laughs> no, ready for. Do so. not go there in the comments. So I got nothing else. Kenny, you got anything? We're good, man. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a rating and a comment wherever you download your podcast. If you're interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, head over to www.cotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. We will see you back here next week. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.